0: Welcome to the Jeff Knows Inc. Entrepreneurial Podcast with your host, Jeff Lopes. Jeff has over two decades experience as a serial entrepreneur, building brands like Kimuraware, from his home basement to a multi-million dollar global brand that has sold over a quarter million pairs of boxing gloves. Jeff's here to educate, guide, and drive you on the process of bringing your ideas and dreams to reality with the inspiring stories from some of the top business minds. Hey everyone, I got to tell you about a product I've been using lately called Feedback Loop. If you're a project manager, an innovator, or even just a startup guy, whatever it is, like myself, you know it's always a struggle to make your next big idea a big hit. And let's be honest, 85% of new products always fail. And the huge reason why for failure is it's just too hard to validate that product. Get a true fit with your customers. And if you're working with old-style marketing research, you know it's too slow. Too complicated and way too expensive for a fast-moving team trying to build something great. But what if I were to tell you you could test all of your products and your product ideas to real targeted consumers whenever you want before you put all that money and time into new development? This is the main reason why startups and 500 fortune companies use Feedback Loop. They're looking for the feedback from their target customers early and as often as possible feedback loop is hands down the best test before you invest product research platform on the market. you get to create your own tests in minutes and get feedback insights within hours of your exact target audience and if you go now to go.feedbackloop.com forward slash jeff you'll get three full tests for free yes that's what i'm saying three full tests for free so if you want your next product to be a hit make sure you test before you invest and launch with confidence with feedback loop This episode is brought to you by the Trademark Factory. Owning trademarks is something that's close and dear to my heart. As I truly value knowing my brand's protected, I personally own 16 trademarks, and the first trademark that I registered was in 2006 for my brand, Camoraware. What I find is a lot of individuals start a company, grow a brand, yet they never truly own the brand because they've never spent the time to register that trademark. And the worst part is, is you could spend all this time, money, and effort building your brand, only to find out you've been infringing in another company's brand, and End up losing all that time, money, and effort. One important fact is trademarks are a foundational investment in your business. They actually monetarily grow in value over time as the brand grows, the value of that trademark grows. If you look at a company like Nike that's worth roughly 97 billion dollars, but their brand alone is worth roughly 47 billion. Think about that. This is why I partner up with the trademark factory with a 99.3% success rate and a one-time fee that covers everything from start to finish. Request a free consultation call right now by the Trademark Factory Strategy Advisors just by visiting tmf.rocks forward slash knows That's tmf.rocks forward slash K N O W S for your free consultation. Welcome to episode 173 of the Jeff Nozine Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Lopes. Super excited to have on today, Alan Stein Jr. Alan has worked with some of the NBA's top stars, from Kobe Bryant to Kevin Durant to Steph Curry. Great conversation. Sit back, everyone. We're live, we're live on the Jeff Nozine Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Lopes. Super excited to have on today, Alan Stein Jr. What is up, brother?
1: Uh, Not much, man. I'm excited to connect with you. I've been looking forward to this since we put it on the calendar
0: it's going to be a fun conversation today so alan is a high performance coach he's worked with incredible athletes now he does a lot of the corporate world athletes as well we're just going to dive into his love and i'm going to start off at the beginning love for basketball and how that all started that's something that kind of interests me where did that all start how did it all start let's take it back to kind of alan as a child and and, and your love for the game
1: well, I fell in love with the game at five years old. I mean, my parents signed me up for my first basketball experience, just a, a local recreation team and fell in love with the game immediately at five years old. And what's kind of neat is here, 40 plus years later, basketball is still a major pillar of my life. And I'm incredibly grateful um, that basketball has kind of been that red thread through everything I've done in my life. And it's it's afforded me some amazing experiences. It's it's introduced me to some of the most important people in my life. Um, it's allowed me to travel the world, and it's certainly allowed me to learn a lot from the game and players and coaches in the game, which have put me on a path to working towards being my best self, and then being
0: able to teach others how to do the same. So that level, when you started playing at such a young age, obviously, I, I'm I'm a, I'm just going to guess you had inspirations of obviously making it to the top, like every kid playing that game. From high school to, we're just talking prior to going on right now, college, Uh where's the transition? Like how, where was your mindset at that point? Did you have still that view of getting there or was it more, when did you start getting into the coaching aspect or in your mind of that? Well,
1: to, to put this in proper context, keep in mind, I'm 46 years old. So I'm yeah. growing up, I'm basically a child of the eighties, which is well before the internet and well before social media. So you're
0: at um, a 76. I am a 76. Yeah. I'm, January I'm, 20th. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm a 77, January 25th.
1: Oh, wow. What a small world. Yeah. Well, you know, then, then, you know, firsthand, you know, at that age, you know, in elementary school, you know, I, I'm having dreams of playing in the NBA one day. Cause I yeah. figure I'm the best basketball player at my elementary school. That's gotta be good enough to be a pro yeah. uh, because you know, when you, you don't have access to what the internet affords, you really don't see any further than the end of your street so you you don't conceptualize at that age how massive the world is and that hey there might be some other really good players in other parts of the world so you know as a as a young kid i'm thinking i'll be an nba player and then as i started to get older and more mature and even through high school realized that was probably unlikely but that i could still be be a college basketball player and that really became my goal and my focus and was really proud to have achieved that. But, but playing at a small school, it was uh, Elon College at the time, it's now Elon University, you know, they don't really produce professional basketball players. So uh, the writing was on the wall. And I had the humility to know that when my college days were over, my formal playing days would be over. And, you know, at, around that same time of that realization, I started to fall in love with the performance training aspect Uh, strength, conditioning, fitness, nutrition, mindset. So when I graduated college in 1999, uh, I figured what could be better than combining my original love of the game of basketball with my newfound love of strength and conditioning and performance work. So I decided to become a basketball performance coach. And I did that immediately out of college and did that for 15 straight years and loved every minute of it. What
0: was your your first gig? Pretty good players. Yeah, sorry about what. What was your first gig? How did you get your feet wet into uh, into that field?
1: So when I graduated, well, while I was still in college, and I was formulating this idea of what it was that I wanted to do, and I figured I'm not going to be an NBA player, but what could be cooler than working with and or training NBA players? And there happened to be a gentleman named Kevin Maselka who was a trainer here in the DC area, uh, where I'm from, uh, who was working with a lot of NBA guys. Uh, He had a really strong relationship um, with an agent in the area. And he was training a lot of the players that uh, came out of Georgetown, uh, Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe yeah. Matumbo, Allen Iverson. Um, so I figured this guy is doing exactly what it is that I want to do. So why don't I try and work for him or learn from him? So, um, I, I, used some, uh, authentic persistence to continue to reach out to, to see if I could work for him. Cause he didn't really have a position open. And I just basically volunteered my time and said, look, Let me just come intern for you. You know, I'll be an apprentice. I'll, you know, I'll do whatever you need me to do. You you need me to wipe down equipment or sweep the floor or, or hand out water bottles or wash towels. I just want to learn the craft and I want to learn the trade because you're doing what I want to do one day. And he was gracious enough to allow me to do that. So when I moved back to the DC area, I basically had an unpaid internship following him around and watching him and what he was doing. And, you know, that quickly escalated to him, starting to give me some opportunities to maybe spot the players on an exercise or warm the guys up before they would do some agility work, and then a few months later, then he would actually let me lead part of the workout, you know, under his watch. Uh, and then that, you know, maybe a year later, he's kind of letting me train some of the players. So it, it really escalated quickly. So I learned kind of the ropes from someone who was doing what I wanted to do, and uh, that
0: was really the impetus that, that got me started. I love that uh one, you had to be understanding at such a young age of the importance of mentoring. And a lot of people don't still understand that. And 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 I mean, you were lucky enough to have someone in your area that could physically mentor you, but um nowadays with the internet, with books, even indirect mentoring is so important. So the bare fact that you took it upon yourself and put yourself in a situation it's kind of kudos to actually learn and progress. And, and, and you're not going to, I mean, there's no formal education that's going to teach you what you're going to learn from hand-on hand kind of work with such an individual. So I, I love that you did that at such a young age. So fast forward that year, how long did you stay under under him or getting Ashley, did, you, did it progress to a fully actual paid position or did you kind of move on from there on?
1: Well, well yeah. So this, I, I want to say with full humility, and transparency before you give me too much praise. Uh, After about a year, I had figured I already knew everything I needed to know and I decided to leave and kind of hang my own shingle and do my my own thing. I mean, and that I think was just some, some youthful naivete of, of thinking, okay, I've watched several workouts. I've done this for a few months. I know what, you know, I know everything now it's time to move on. Um, and, uh, you know, I can say that with a smile because the 46 year old Alan can give some grace to the, you know, the 20 year old Alan who, who thought he knew it all at the time. So, um, I kind of went out on my own to do my own thing, but, but I learned, you know, through the school of hard knocks and learned through trial and error and started to build my own training business. Um, and was able to, a couple of years later, uh, begin working at a school called Montrose Christian, which is a small private high school here in the D.C. area, uh, but has produced a dozen NBA players, Kevin Durant oh, wow. being the most notable. So I, I got a chance to work for that school in that program. Um, which is really what set everything else off. And, and I was there for seven years working with those players. Um, but that's what actually got me opportunities to work uh, for Nike basketball in Jordan brand and USA basketball. It's what led me to the next school that I worked with, which was Damatha Catholic high school uh, here in the DC area, which has also produced dozens of NBA players like Victor Oladipo and Markel Fultz and Quinn cook. Um, so, you know, while I was kind of in that space, once again, things started to escalate very quickly and, um, I was loving every minute of it. I mean, I loved the craft, uh, I loved performance work. I obviously loved basketball, but I really loved the relationships and and you know pouring into the players and serving as a role model for them. but I also loved continuing to be a student and learning from the coaches that I was getting a chance to work for and observe. Um, so yeah, it was it was just a fantastic uh, overall experience that 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 15 year period was unbelievable.
0: I love that you said that. I was going to ask you that. Is is your continuing education, like continuing, progressing and learning, which is such an important process of any any type of growth, right? When you were at that high school level, coaching and all that stuff like that, um, any of the young guys you worked with eventually made it to the NBA. Oh yeah, well, Kevin look- Durant. Were you in that process with Kevin? Because I'm looking at your age group. So Kevin Durant was there in high school. He, he was yeah. yeah so part- that's pretty awesome. I-
1: Part of what makes my my journey rather unique. So I was at for thirteen years. I was at these two different high schools and yeah. Montrose Christian. During the seven years I was there, I think they put six players in the NBA. And then during the, the the six years I was at Damatha, I think they put eight players in the NBA. Um, you know the ones I mentioned are the most notable. But what was neat about that vantage point is I'm meeting and working with these kids when they're fourteen and fifteen years old. I mean, I I had a chance to meet and work with Kevin Durant before he became the Kevin Durant that the entire world knows of now. So I got to see a behind-the-scenes look of what it took for them to get to that mountaintop, to reach the peak of their craft, and what it took for them to ascend to playing in the NBA. But then, as I mentioned, that led me to some work with Nike brand, uh, uh, Nike Basketball and Jordan Brand. And I got a chance to work events for Kobe Bryant and LeBron James and Steve Nash and Stephen Curry and Chris Paul so then I got a peek of the other side of the curtain and I got to see players that were already established, already you know in the NBA and having great careers, but I got to see what they did to sustain that excellence and to stay there and to stay on top of their game. So I, I've seen both vantage points, what it takes to reach the mountaintop and what it takes to stay there. And ultimately, that's what my work is focused on now is translating those lessons and those strategies to show folks in the business world, entrepreneurs, and, and show folks just in general aspects of life, how they can use those same principles and strategies to become the best at whatever it is they're trying to do. And that's, that's why I love this current iteration of what I'm doing is I'm still drawing on my experiences from basketball, which keeps me connected to the game, but I'm showing folks how they can apply those to any area of life that they want to
0: excel. There's a few areas I want to go there. Uh, I'm going to throw this one quick question at you coaching. Have you ever thought of coaching basketball? Uh,
1: no. in um, but I never say never. So I'm the proud father of three young kids. I have 12 year old twin sons and a nine, uh, almost 10 year old daughter, and they all play basketball presently. And right now I've made the decision not to coach them, let other people coach them. Um, but that may change in the future. I mean, that might be something in a, in a future chapter that I say, I would really love to do this. Um, now I will say admittedly, my expertise was on the performance side. Okay. It was on strength conditioning um and athleticism. And while, I think I know a decent amount about the game, uh, I don't have the basketball, x's and O's acumen to be an elite level coach. i mean if if I decided to pursue that, I would go back to being a student again and really yeah, figuring yeah. that out. You know what when when I was learning from these coaches, I wasn't so much learning about x's and O's and basketball strategy and offenses and defenses. I was learning out how to communicate more effectively, how to build trust and relationship, how to forecast the vision, how to get everyone to have buy-in and believe in and create a culture. So most of the stuff that I was learning from these coaches were more of the intangibles and the soft skills, which now I do apply to every area of life. So um, I still consider myself a coach to this day. Yeah. I just don't coach players on the court. I coach folks in the business world.
0: Yeah, I love that. I, just for our audience to understand, because we have a heavily Canadian-based audience here, the understanding of how important sports are at a high school level in the U.S. Because Canada is—I mean, we don't even touch that. We don't even come compare to that. Give them a realm of just like an, a high school basketball game. Like, how many people are there? Like, what's the atmosphere? The scouting, all that stuff. Give me, give me a little rundown of of of, of pretty much a season of basketball in a high performance school like you were, you were coaching at.
1: sure and, and let me say this and i'm not saying this to brown nose or kiss anybody's butt but to your canadian audience my all-time favorite player without question is steve nash uh yeah, i'm, I'm yeah, a huge yeah. steve nash guy so uh <laughs> I, I, have a, I have a steve nash signed basketball in my office here <laughs> he is my favorite player for a variety of reasons oh, i mean one incredible. i mean obviously his skill level was off the charts i mean yeah, he yeah he was doing some Steph Curry type things before Steph Curry became Steph Curry, but he was also such the consummate teammate. He was a great leader. He had an infectious energy. So yeah, my, I, I have tremendous respect for Steve we've, Nash we've, and, we've, and for Canadian been, basketball.
0: I'm saying we've been producing some high level athletes. oh stars coming out of Canada. The last like five, six years has just been like, if you look at the draft it's just, they're just one after another. So it, it yeah, the the came basketball program has really, really uh taking a turn for the right direction in the last, like, three to four years. Absolutely. And Steve Incredibly. Nash, and Steve Nash had, a, had a big influence on that, right? I mean, how many how many young players played basketball because of Steve Nash? And then also, I mean, you look at the whole Vince Carter era. I mean, yep. that really changed how many young people enrolled or started following basketball because of Vince Carter, even though his period here wasn't didn't finish off the way people wanted it to but it's still that impact he had with those dunks and all that stuff. I mean, it just, it just transformed the love of basketball for Canada and you see the Raptor games, people are it, it's oh, insane here, man. I mean, yeah. after they won, it was what it was like 2 million people on the street. It was insane. So I it mean, was love, the love for remarkable. basketball here has really grown in the last like 10 years. Right.
1: It, it sure has. Well, you know, b- back to your original question. So to put this in some context um, there's approximately 30,000 Uh, boys varsity high school basketball teams in the United States. So roughly 30,000 high schools that field a basketball team. The two high schools that I had a chance to work with Montrose Christian and DeMatha Catholic high school are regularly in the top 10 of those 30,000, not in the top 10% in the top 10. So, you know, I'm working with the elite of the elite. I mean, in the, the 13 years that I was with those two programs, almost every single player went on to play Division I college basketball. And then I've already mentioned, you know, dozens played in the NBA. So um, I say that to put in context that the two programs I worked with were not normal or typical high schools. They were very much, the basketball programs were run very similar to the way a, an elite college program would be run. I mean, they they would train and work with players on a year-round basis. Um, you know, they would have strength and conditioning and film breakdown and, you know, nutrition and all sorts of stuff. You know, it wasn't a typical high school experience. Uh, both of those programs would play nationally televised games on ESPN, uh, both would travel, you know, in addition to the, the the games they would have in their conference and at home, you know, we would travel to to Hawaii and play in a tournament. We would travel, you know, all, so they weren't typical experiences. These, you know, were, were really, really elite level programs. Both of those programs were Nike elite programs. So they're wearing all of the same gear and shoes as a Kentucky or a Duke, you know, so it was basically a college level program for 15 to 18 year old young men that wanted to play college basketball. So uh, I just say that, that that is not the typical high school experience, but it was one that I really valued. I mean, it was elite from the players that they had to the coaches to the way they ran their practices. So it was, it was a really fertile environment for me to learn everything that I had an opportunity to learn. And um, you know, the kids that played at those schools, were terrific young men. They were not only outstanding basketball players, but they were true student athletes. They they took their academic work very seriously. You know, they aimed and strived uh, for excellence in every area of their life. And the coaches held them to a very high level of accountability in every area of their life. Um, You know, neither one of these schools were these kind of stereotypical basketball factories that only cared about basketball. Like they were very into creating, you know, the, the, the young man as a whole. And I say young man, because both programs were, were all boys programs.
0: when you look at, I'm going to ask you two sides of this question. So has there, I mean, I'm sure there has been, but do you recall, you don't have to name names of, of a student that you just looked at and saw so much potential, but they just didn't have the inner drive or didn't.
1: Absolutely. Well, well, what's interesting. So at that level, there's, and there's, there's two different groups. Um, There was a group of players that absolutely over-indexed and maximized every ounce of talent and potential they had, they didn't have it in the cards to be NBA players. They had incredible high school careers. They all went on to play college. Um, The two young men I'm thinking of now ended up playing overseas professionally. but, But you're talking about guys, I mean, they got every ounce of their potential out. Uh, But then I could also come up with a list of players more to your question that had all of the physical talent and potential in the world and never came close to actualizing it for a variety of reasons. And, you know, where I have tremendous compassion and love in my heart, especially at that age, is, you know, you're you're somewhat a product of your environment and you're a product of the people that are around you. Now, I don't, I don't say that to mean you are a victim of circumstance. You still have the ability to make your own decisions, but if you happen to be around people and you're the people that are influencing you most in your life are dragging you down and they're not making great decisions on their own, or, you know, they're not holding you to a high level of accountability. They're just kissing your butt because you're a great basketball player. Many of those players didn't come anywhere close to achieving what they could have. But, but I have so much grace and compassion because when you're a young person, you you don't really know that yet. I mean, I, I just clearly admitted in my early twenties, I got a little too big for my britches and I walked away from an opportunity because I thought I knew it all. That's a perfect example of, of when we're younger and more immature, we don't have the clarity that we have now in our, our mid forties. So I don't say that to diminish those players, I just say the fact that, you know, some of these players were every bit as good as Kevin Durant was at 14 or 15, and clearly they've taken different paths. So um, the decisions one makes, uh, who they choose to insulate themselves with, um, ultimately will determine whether or not they're going to reach, you know, uh, as, or come close to reaching their potential. I guess none of us actually reach the full potential, yeah. but at least come close to it.
0: I mean, you could you could use that towards essentially any any aspect or any human, right? I mean, you always hear those sayings that tell me tell me your your five closest friends, and I'll tell you who you are. You, are, I mean, parents would drive that into me as a kid, right? So, yeah. When you're looking at let's let's talk about Kevin Durant. Kevin, sure. Give me some stories of Kevin Durant in high school. Give me some like his work ethic, his drive, like like his his his, his personality. Is is just give me some like because he's such. I mean, people, people, I mean, when he's at his peak, you could put him at the top two or three in the world. If not sometimes at the top one, I mean, he's that talented, right? Yeah. Give me some stories of Kevin Durant because I find him fascinating and, in such an, and I mean, I don't, I don't, I really don't like him playing for Brooklyn, but I mean, (laughs) but, uh, give me some stories of Kevin. I think that. Sure. uh, Well,
1: well, to paint a, a broader picture, um, Kevin obviously had the physical gifts. I mean, he was incredibly tall. He had a great wingspan, was long, had tremendous hand-eye coordination, you know, could run for days. So, so he certainly passed the eyeball test, Uh, but above and beyond that, I mean, Kevin was an absolute gym rat. I mean, his passion for the game and love for the game was unparalleled. There is no place in the world he would rather be than in the gym you know, putting up shots and working on his game, even to this day. And I I know, you know, he's older now. um, He's got other aspects of his life. You know, he's not, he's not just about basketball. He has grown and matured to the point where, you know, he's an investor. He, he, you know, he does a lot of different things, but I still believe in my heart that if Kevin had to pick one place that he'd like to be, it would be at a park somewhere, putting up shots, working on his game. He loves the game that much. And, you know, when you blend that, passion for the game with the physical tools and the fact he was incredibly humble and coachable. He was very open to receiving feedback that if, that if you had something that could make him a better player, he was all ears. You know, he, he didn't have a know-it-all mentality. He, he wanted to learn from as many people as he could. And he had a respect for the game. Like he respected the process. He respected the players that came before him. He respected the fundamentals. You know, he never tried to skip steps, And I think when you put all of that together, that's where you kind of had the makings of, of being a great player, but you know, of the vast many stories that I could tell about Kevin um, this is one of my favorite because it really clued me in uh, to the fact that, that he was a terrific young man and and that no matter how good he was going to become as a player, because none of us had any idea that this kid at 14 or 15 would end up being one of the top three players in the NBA to many people's account, the best scorer in the NBA yeah. at present. Um, I mean, we, we didn't know he was going to be that good. We knew he was going to be good, but, um, but to know that his character would be able to support that, um, I found out because I would go over, I lived about an hour away from him and I would get up super early in the morning, drive an hour to pick him up from his apartment and take him to work out before school would actually start. And these were some pretty early mornings. And the first portion of portion of which we would work out at a local kind of YMCA club near his uh, his his house. And one morning we're there super early. You're talking 530 in the morning, which most teenagers would prefer not to be up at 530 in the morning. You know, they're not necessarily uh, enthusiastic at that hour. And understandably, you know, it was a cold morning. Kevin was, you know, he had his slides on, he had his hood on, didn't say a word to me in the car. And we start walking into this YMCA and we pass the, the the lady that was working at the front desk. And I didn't ask for her ID, but I'm guessing she was 75 years old. I mean, she was she was on the older end, yeah. wonderfully sweet lady. And she said, good morning, guys. And Kevin just kind of had his head down and he kept walking by her. And you could tell that she was a little offended by that. She said, um, I said, good morning, guys. And for a split second, I was thinking, all right, I don't know how this is going to go. You've got a probably tired and ornery and irritated teenager who's having this older person kind of, you know, kind of scold them in in so few words. And I wasn't sure how he was going to respond. And Kevin turned around and he took his hood off and he said, I'm sorry, ma'am. Good morning. And then walked into the gym. And I knew at that moment I was dealing with a really good kid. I was dealing with a high character kid. You know, he he realized in that moment that he should have been more polite and more respectful. And he quickly moved to the next play and he made amends for that. And all basketball stuff aside, I knew in that moment, this is a solid young man with solid character. and 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 that's obviously the foundation one needs to build the type of career and legacy that he's built. And I knew in that moment, I'm really lucky to work with this kid. I love it.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. So, from there, you started working with you said Nike programs, and then you worked with uh, the team USA team as well. so i I got to work with what they called the Nike Skills Academies,
1: and that's okay. where most yes. of these pictures you can see behind me um, yeah. it, it, are, are from. So Nike decided they were going to start holding a series of camps with their flagship athletes. They were gonna take Kobe Bryant and they were gonna bring in all of the two guards in high school and college that were elite level and run a camp where Kobe could actually help teach and instruct. And they did the same thing with, I mean, dozens of players. You already mentioned Vince Carter. I worked the Vince Carter Skills Academy, worked the Steve Nash (laughs) Skills Academy. You know, there was obviously LeBron James and King James. So they built these programs um, where these athletes could help tutor and mentor and teach the game to the younger players. And I had a chance to be the performance coach at all of those. Uh, Then that got some, you know, that led to some work with Jordan brand um, and doing some things at their annual Jordan brand classic. Uh, I never had a chance to work the USA basketball with the USA basketball team, but I worked for a division of it, which was this USA basketball fantasy camp where guys your age and my age actually sign up to play and get coached by elite level players and coaches. So it was part of the USA basketball um, you know, uh, um, part of what they were doing, but I did, I never worked with the actual USA team, but was around them. I got to watch practices. I got to listen to their coaches. So I've been very fortunate to kind of be a fly on the wall, uh, in a lot of these really, really, um, important rooms and soaked it all
0: up. And it was, it was really awesome. When did you first meet, uh, Kobe? So I met
1: Kobe at the Nike skills
0: Academy that they did for him.
1: That was the first time I met him. And that was in 2007. And uh, it was an incredible experience. I actually had a chance to watch one of his private workouts early one morning. And he taught me something that morning that really, if I had to pick one foundational principle um, that I live my life based on, but also have now written two books based on this same principle, uh, Kobe taught me that the best never get bored with the basics that if you want to be good at anything, you have to work towards mastery of the fundamentals. Now, obviously in the game of basketball, you're talking about your footwork, your shooting mechanics, your ability to pass and catch and handle the ball and rebound, you know, so those, the fundamentals of basketball are pretty clear cut. So part of my work, when I'm working with anyone, an entrepreneur, a podcast host, someone that runs a Fortune 500 company, is getting them to clearly identify and articulate what are the basics or the fundamentals that they need to work towards mastery of to get really, really good at their craft? And then once they've figured out what those things are, then we figure out how can we intertwine those into your morning and evening routine, into your daily habits and your daily behaviors? How can the same way Kobe would work on basic footwork patterns for 15 to 20 minutes every single day, what are the things that, let's say in this case, you, you as a podcast host, what are the things that you can do every single day to help work on your craft uh, and acumen as a podcast host? And um, when folks can get crystal clear on that and then decide what those fundamentals are, have the humility to acknowledge that doing them every day is not easy, but make the commitment to that. That's when you build the type of foundation that that you can ascend to just unparalleled levels.
0: Yeah, I think it's so important. I mean, a little, little background myself. I mean, I've been an entrepreneur for 26 years, but I years it's going on three years ago, uh three, four years ago for um uh three, four year period. I was um I really, really took I, I love bass I love baseball and I and I took to the coaching side of baseball because my son was playing at a rep level and I started coaching and helping coach a team and I took all my certification, all that. And it's in and, and exactly what you're saying, it was always, especially at that rep level, it's always the basics, it's always the arm care. It's it's just the basic routine you're doing in your warm-ups. Everything has a schedule and a purpose and a process. We to follow through every single workout. So I love that you're saying that because it's, it's you can apply that exactly to anything you do work-wise, career-wise, real estate, whatever you do. I mean, it's just that, that figuring out that process and consistently working on improving it every single time. That 1% is getting better and better and better at every time. So I love yeah. that.
1: And one of the reasons this is actually challenging to do is I actually believe our society is pushing us in the other direction. Our society is always telling us we should be looking for a shortcut or a hack. Society is telling us we should all be enamored with and chasing what's new and what's flashy and what's sexy. Um, And when you do those things, then you start to drift away from the basics. And I believe that's a big mistake. You know, there's some a, a, a concept of of compounding interest, if you will, where little things done consistently can create profound results. Which is why, you know, someone like Kobe Bryant doesn't need to do basic footwork, you know, for four hours a day. He needs to do it for fifteen to twenty minutes, but do that every single day, and those things will add up. And, and this is also not about. I'm not saying that you never graduate to more advanced techniques or that you never graduate to doing more advanced stuff. I'm just saying you never leave the basics, yeah. but that is always a fundamental staple of what you do. And, you know, whether, you know, you're talking about someone like uh coach K, you know, the, the basketball coach at Duke or someone like Bill Belichick uh, or even an athlete like Tom Brady, you know, those players uh, and coaches have such a respect for the basics that they are woven into every practice and every workout you know, they do the most basic things. Uh, you, you, every single practice Bill Belichick has ever run, I can promise you, having not been to every practice he's ever run, I can promise you there is a blocking and tackling component to every practice. There is a throwing and catching component to every practice. Like they don't skip the basics. They make that the foundation and then they start to build on top of that. And And I know in my own life, um, anytime I'm not performing at a level that I believe I'm capable of. When I take a breath uh, and have some self-reflection, I find that I'm usually unconsciously drifting away from the basics. I'm trying to skip a step on the ladder, if you will, and then I just quickly refocus the lens, get back to the basics, and, and then things tend to clear up and start to get better.
0: I love that. How, how besides that one experience with Kobe, did you work with Kobe going forward at all?
1: Uh, only only at his only at those camps. Yeah, I, I did not work with him or train him one-on-one. I, didn't have a relationship, like a deep relationship with him. Um, you know, when I'd work those camps there, they were four day long events and they were pretty long hours each day. And, and I had some side conversations with him and I watched his workout, you know, every time he was working with or talking to the players, I would make sure I'm there to to soak it up. So no, I did not have a relationship with him in the same degree that I did with a Kevin Durant. Um, but, but for me, whether I'm going to meet someone for five minutes or I'm going to know them for five years, um, there's two things that are really important to me. First and foremost is, what can I do to add value to this person's life? Yeah. What can I do to fill their bucket or make their life easier? Or what what can I do? And then the second thing is, what can I learn from this person? Now, with somebody like Kobe Bryant, you know, he, he's, in my opinion, on the Mount Rushmore of all time players, you know, it's pretty obvious what a guy like Kobe could teach me. There's a lot. Um, but I try and have that approach with every person that I meet. You know, even with my own children, I mean, they're, they're 12 and 10 years old, but there are things my children can teach me and they do teach me, you know, in this case, it usually has to do with technology or social media or TikTok or something they're doing on Fortnite, you know, but there's something that, that you can learn from everyone. And, you know, a good friend and mentor of mine, Jay Billis, was the one that really got me to see that. And he said, Alan, every single person in the world knows something that you don't. And it's your job to figure that thing out. Now, conversely, every single person in the world, there's something you know that they don't. And when you really frame it that way, it's it's a neat perspective. Which means a a a you know a, a, someone 20 years younger than me that lives in a rural part of the United States that has you know grew up differently. Like they have something they can teach me. And at the same time, and I don't mean this to, to sound you know uh, uh, like I'm boasting. But there is something that Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or Oprah Winfrey or Warren Buffett or Jay-Z, there's something they could learn from me, you know, because we've all had these different experiences. And to me, when you go through life with a genuine curiosity and a genuine desire to serve and to share and to help others, but then also to learn Boy, the, the whole world opens up. You know, it's it, you, you get out of this like siloed view that you already know everything and just say, every human walking the earth, I can add value to and they can teach me something. Boy, that, uh, and there's no shortage of opportunities because at last count, there's like 8 billion people on the earth.
0: I love that. I mean, those are two lessons that I think parents in general need to iterate and teach their kids. I mean, a lot of people go into a situation of, trying to suck out or 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 push away or or intake they're not going into a situation of what could i add what could i give i mean once you go into a situation if i'm coming up to you and exactly what you're saying and and i'm coming to you and and the first thing i say to you is what could i add value to how could i help you all of a sudden you're going to have open arms yeah because your intention is different than coming in, trying to like, what can you give me? What could I want? So I love that you said that. I mean, that's something, I mean, our our next generation needs to uh, kind of intake and and start implying to their own systems, right? I mean, and then the bare fact that you're learning like this, learn, learn and give and learn. I I love that. I love everything you said there.
1: No, I appreciate that. Well, once again, in full transparency, I haven't always had this outlook. I mean, admittedly, you know, in my teens and twenties and even early, early thirties, I was much more self-centered and much more selfish. It was much more leaning on what can you do for me or what can I gain from this relationship yeah. as opposed to giving. And you know, once once I was able to cross that threshold and and I've forgiven my my earlier and younger self for that. That was part of my journey. I do think most people in their 20s and and teens in particular, they kind of have that mindset, you know, with with life experience and maturity I've now flipped that and realized it's not about what I'm getting, it's about what I'm giving. And I, I really try and go through life now with this mindset of transformational leadership, which is saying, it's not about me, it's about you. You know, what what can I do to offer you value or to be of service to you? And, and I found there's tremendous fulfillment in that. So even though you're serving the other person, it still fills your bucket and makes you feel good to be able to do that. So both people find that, uh, rewarding, and you know that's why I say with all of this stuff that I'm I'm sharing, and I'm loving this conversation. None of this stuff is coming from a place of mastery. I have not mastered any of this stuff. You know, now I'm I'm on a path, and I believe that I'm evolving and growing and improving, and I'm making progress. and And I'd like to believe I am much more giving and of service today than I was five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago but i haven't mastered any of the things that we're talking about these are all things that that i still struggle with and i still find challenging but what i have now and i'm very thankful is i have an awareness of them uh, you will never improve something you're oblivious to yeah. and you will never get better at something that you're unaware of so now when i start to find myself having a, a slightly selfish tendency or slightly jealous of somebody else's success or what they're doing it's very short lived because now i catch myself and realize this isn't helping and this isn't of service to me or anyone else. And I can start to get back on the, the right path. So it's all been this constant journey. And, you know, the, that journey is never going to be over. I mean, you know, if if I'm fortunate enough to be on this planet for another 46 years, I'm going to continue to try to refocus the lens and tighten the screws in all of these different areas. And uh, but to me, that's, again, the fun part of life is it's, it's not stagnant, you know, can I be of more service tomorrow than I was today? Can I, can I be more open and tolerant and and curious tomorrow than I am today? That's, that's the goal. And so I don't really worry about where I am at the moment. I just want to make sure that my arrow is pointed in the right direction, that direction. Yeah. and I'm, I'm headed on the right path.
0: Yeah. We're, we're constantly, I mean, everybody's going to evolve and mature at different levels and different ages. Right. And that's just common sense. And I mean, it, when you're looking at it at in a direction, I always say, i mean the day you the day you die is the day you stop learning, so you're constantly evolving and learning and progressing. So I love that aspect. What does fatherhood mean to you?
1: oh man it's it's one of if not the favorite hat that I wear. you know, it's one of the things I love about my work is that all of these principles and strategies that I share for for entrepreneurs and folks in the business world to improve, they're all applicable to fatherhood. I mean, ultimately being a parent is being a leader. So any principle that it takes to be a leader, um, applies to, to parenting and fatherhood. And it's, it's been a wonderful journey. I mean, it's, it's amazing how quick it goes by. I mean, my, my twin sons literally turned 12 yesterday. We had a big, huge birthday, uh, dinner for them last night and had a a great time. And, you know, it's, it's crazy yet. I feel like it was just yesterday that when I'd walk in the room, they'd both run up and each grab a hold of my leg and give me a huge hug. And now in the blink of an eye, you know, they look up from their iPhone and say, Hey, what's up, dad? Like, it's amazing how quickly those, those things happen, but I, I enjoy it. Um, You know, I I love the, the meaningful conversations I'm able to have with my children now because they are older. Um, Some of my parenting philosophies, like I've always believed it's never too early to plant seeds So, you know, many of these things we're talking about, I have consciously and unconsciously shared and modeled for my children, even before they were an age where they could conceptualize it. But now I can see that planting some of those seeds years ago and continuing to water them and give them some sunshine. Now they're starting to bloom and blossom. And I can see my kids understanding some of these things. And, And I also try and parent with a tremendous amount of empathy and compassion You know, I've already said to you with transparency, some of the mistakes that I made when I was younger. So I fully recognize my children are also going to make mistakes and I have to be loving and supportive and patient when they do not judge them. Um, I I think, you know, a lot of times adults, we quickly forget how we behaved when we were children. And it's like, we hold our children to this expectation. It's like, man, I didn't even live up to that when I was a kid. Why would I think my child's going to, you know, go through life you know, uh, perfect and and not make mistakes. So, you know, we're all flawed and we're all fallible. And I try to use my lessons to share with my children. But most importantly, I just want them to know I love them unconditionally. I've got their back that when they make mistakes that we can learn from those mistakes and grow from them. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I find fatherhood and parenting to be Equal parts exhausting and equal parts fulfilling. Like almost to no degree, it's it's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, my, I, I mean, I, I love what you said. I mean, the time does fly, and you always hear that there's a stat out there that it says eighty percent, or is either 90, 80 or ninety percent of the face time you have with your children is before the age of eighteen, and it's so true. Wow. And my kids are, my kids are uh, turning, they turn uh, fourteen and sixteen in the next month, so oh, time flies. Time does fly, and um, but I, I have an incredibly close relationship with my kids. I mean, I, I'm with them. I, I still, I mean, being an entrepreneur for 26 years, I still drive my kids to school every morning. I still pick them up from school or after school. Or after, like this is crazy. I'm I mean, I've I've, a, I've arranged my life, and I and the reason I became an entrepreneur is to have the freedom to do what I want when I want. And I've actually mastered that to the point where. Um, I, I call my non-negotiables. I put in my schedule every single month, my time, my kids, I try to have dinner with my family every single night, Monday to Friday. I try to be home for dinner every night. So you put in those non-negotiables in and, and they become kind of those, exactly we said, those seeds. You start from a very young age and those seeds and they start planting them and watering them and giving them light. Like, exactly what you said. And, you see them all blossom, and it's pretty—it's pretty amazing experience. And all my kids, like my daughter's going to grade eleven. She's been a, she's a super high performance dance star. Incredible. Wow. My kids are incredibly love love fitness from a young age. Fitness has been a huge part of their lives. And I get home, my kids don't play video games. I get home, my kids are arguing over who gets on the treadmill. It's this crazy thing where they both absolutely love working out. They love fitness. And uh, my son plays baseball. My daughter does high performance dance. But uh, education is obviously a huge part of them as well. But it's it's just you. It's just you. You see through a lens of how they're growing. Sometimes you got to just step back and just observe it all, and yeah. and, and intake it all because it just goes by so quickly. So well, so, so quick.
1: And and what I think is so cool. And I, I love every word that you just said. And and I know you and I are really just meeting and just getting acquainted. But I can promise you that the way your your children are maturing and turning out is not by accident and it's not by luck. It's you've, you've modeled many of these things for them, whether you knew it or not. You know,
0: I've, 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 I've known it. I've from a young age, I try to apply it.
1: Yeah. And you've emphasized the right thing. So, you know, your, your children are, should be very thankful and I'm sure they are that, you know, they're, they are a byproduct of the seeds that you planted when you did. And that's really important. And just like I said, it's never too early to plant seeds. I also believe it's never too late to yeah, plant seeds, I agree. That, that just because someone gets to a certain age and maybe they weren't exposed to or taught certain things, it's never too late to try to have that influence. So the the same compassion and love that I show my own children, I mean, I try to extend that to everybody that I come in contact with. And, and you know, I, I find... In a world right now that is incredibly divisive, you know, and just spend five minutes on social media, you'll see how divisive uh, people are. And, And so many things in this world are riddled with assumptions. They're riddled with judgment. And the pandemic's only highlighted that. You know, one of the areas that I've really tried to grow over these last few years is to be far less judgmental and much more curious, like lean into certain things. So let's just say, for example, that you and I fundamentally... Uh, disagree on, on some perspective of something. Um, The first thing I'll do is take a breath and go, okay, uh, we're not arguing about a truth like gravity. We're arguing about a perspective. And if, if I'm going to believe that, that, that I have the right to my opinion, then I need to give you the exact same respect that you have a right to your opinion and your belief and your perspective. And when doing that, then I also take a step back and go, and this is a perfect example because you and I live in different countries. I mean, they're they're not vastly different, but they're still technically different countries. So I need to, to know that, that the way you grew up, the way you were parented, where you grew up, like all of those things informed and helped you grow to the person you are. And if those things were vastly different than the way that I grew up or where I grew up or how I was parented, Why would I be surprised that you and I have different views? Like we had different seeds planted in us. So I want to be very respectful of that and, and take off a self-righteous hat of, well, my way is best or I know and say, okay, let me lean in with some curiosity and fascination. Like, so you and I, we, we disagree on this one topic, but instead of me trying to beat you over the head and prove to you that I know more or that I'm right, which is futile. Instead, I want to come at you with curiosity and compassion and say, like, I'm, I'm blown away on why you think what you think. I'd love to learn more. Like, what experiences have caused you to believe this? Or, you know, what, what do you read, watch, or listen to? Or who do you insulate yourself with that, is, that has caused you to have this strong belief? Because it is very different than mine. And I, I find very similar to what you said about approaching someone more with open arms Um, that you can create some really great connection doing that. And by the end of our conversation, it doesn't mean either one of us have changed our perspective or our vantage point, but at least we've learned something and we've, we've been able to see it from a different angle. And, And I find life is so much more rewarding and fulfilling when you approach it that way, as opposed to trying to convince other people that you're right and they're wrong or that your beliefs are good and their beliefs are bad it doesn't get you anywhere. So that's one of the things that I really try to model for my children.
0: It, it, everything you're saying, I was just trying to find it on my phone. Um, I think his name is Daryl Davis. Have you ever heard of that name before? I, I have not. No. Um, Daryl Davis, if I'm not mistaken, his name Daryl Davis, um, infiltrated. Uh, he's an African-American uh, um, and he infiltrated um, the... Um, The whole KKK society and he's over the last, I don't know how many years, 20 years, has able, was able to actually turn um, over 200 uh, KKK members out of the system. And it's all, and his, his philosophy is all going in exactly what you said, not going in, arguing, going in, listening, Mm -hmm. understanding, being curious to why their beliefs, what upbringings put them in a situation to believe that understand that so he came into everything with this non-judgmental like mindset and just being curious and listening and through that i mean being able to bring away from a system that i mean these 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 young people are brought into that from a very young age absolutely and being able to i mean change their their mindset and ideology of this all is incredible so uh, everything you're saying i mean it doesn't matter what level we're at. I mean just coming in with that mindset of just listening and observing yeah. and learning is is so powerful.
1: Well, and and there's there's a few things that we can separate. I love that you actually gave that example. That's a really heartfelt and powerful example. And also because you know, it, it certainly speaks to an extreme when you have an extreme organization like the KKK. And it's possible for two things to exist at the same time. You know, my fundamental belief is that the organization of the KKK is 100 percent intolerable and unacceptable. However, that can coexist with the fact that I can have empathy for someone that is in that organization because, you know, from the moment they were born, they were taught or maybe appropriately brainwashed to believe that this way of thinking is right. So, you know, they, they were like, what do you expect that child to believe? Yeah. you know, they were raised in an environment where they were taught that these beliefs are, cor- are correct. And while I fundamentally disagree with those beliefs, I can still have empathy in my heart that that young person was tainted at a ver- very early age. Yeah. And that, you know, I, I love that this approach of when you're trying to get someone to sway their beliefs that you don't do that by making them, you know, by disparaging them or dis- diminishing them. Um, you know, you do that with love and empathy and compassion. And I know that sounds really weird when you're talking about an organization as atrocious as that, but it's still the best way to induce change is, yeah. is you know, and those things can go exist. You know, on one hand, I can completely, um, you know, uh, uh, disapprove of everything that they stand for and believe in. At the same time, I can have empathy and compassion for the human beings that are a part of those organizations because many of those things were, you know, those those nasty seeds were planted before they even knew what was going on. So uh, I I think approaching things that way is really, really helpful. And same thing, you know, we could go down a variety of rabbit holes just about the pandemic, you know, whether it's mask or no mask, vaccine or no vaccine, to be open or to be closed. Once again, it has nothing to do I, I have my opinions and my preferences. I have I have a perspective on what I think of each of those things, but I don't think that, that I'm right and others are wrong. My perspective is what's the right fit for me. Yeah. And when yeah. someone does view one of those things differently, instead of trying to, to, to shun them or shame them, I want to learn more about why they feel that way. And when you take the time to do that, often you'll start to uncover you know, well, it was part of how they were raised. It was, it was part of how they were taught. It's part of where they live geographically. It's part of their religious or political beliefs. It's part of what they read, watch, and listen to. And if you put all of that stuff together, then you're like, oh yeah, I know why you believe what you believe. I, I can, I can take the time to see the world through your lens. And if I grew up the way you grew up, where you grew up, with the people that raised you, with those belief systems. If I read, watch, and listen to everything you do, if I insulated myself and followed the same people on social media that you do, I would probably think the same thing as you. Yeah. And, and when you can admit that, uh, then you can create connection. And it it doesn't mean that that I'm going to change my preference or it doesn't, but it just simply means there's now an openness. And to me, openness and empathy and compassion are the foundation of human connection and yeah. if we could have a little bit more of that in our world i think things would be slightly better
0: yeah it's, it's the bridge right it's a connection bridge i mean if both people give and both people are on the same path whether coming from different directions they're eventually going to collide right so it's in whether in a good way or a bad way right so yeah i i thousand I, I love that you brought this and i love this how this little topic came up here because it's such it's such a powerful thing right and we i think the world in general, from I mean, we go to politics, we go to any direction we want to, even sports, is just having open dialogue. Open dialogues is the start, and coming in with you're listening, listening, and understanding, and and not judging, and being curious. Uh, I love everything you said there, Alan. Completely, completely amazing. How long have you been married for?
1: I'm actually no longer
0: married. Oh, I, you're I'm, not?
1: Yeah, no, I'm very amicably divorced, and I. Uh, My ex-wife and I make great friends. We were tremendous co-parents. We're actually better friends now than we were. Excuse me. We were married. So I was married for five years. I've been divorced for seven.
0: Okay. 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 So career-wise, I'm going to go through just a few more little quick things. Over the pandemic, obviously, you're traveling with your your speaking, your gigs and all that. How did that change? And how is it? Are are you back to full, full, full go now?
1: (sighs) So, for frame of reference and context, in 2019, uh, I believe I did 70 uh, speaking engagements. So, 70 keynotes or workshops. In 2020, those were all in person, on stage, in person. In 2020 and 2021, like during the time of the pandemic, that 18-month period, I think I did four. Now, I did hundreds of virtual presentations and virtual engagements, but as far as actual travel and being on stage in front of people, I mean, it was almost nil. Now, that's significantly changed over these last couple months. And, and the optimist in me believes over the next several months that pendulum is going to swing back in the other direction, hardcore, because yeah. um, now I'm back to a fairly normal travel schedule and I'm back to to, to speaking on stage in front of people in person. Uh, and I love it. I mean, I, I didn't realize how much I missed it until that was kind of you that, know taken that, away. That,
0: that connection is um, pretty special, right?
1: Oh, it it really is. So I'm I'm very thankful that I had the opportunity to still share and serve virtually and, and bridge that 18 month period. Um, but boy, I'm I'm so thrilled to kind of be back and traveling and and on stages again. Because uh, aside from being with my children, there's no place I'd rather be than on stage in front of an engaged audience that is interested in hearing what I'm passionate about. I love it.
0: One last question for you, Alan, if something were to happen to you today, in a few words, how would you want to be remembered or described by your loved ones and your family?
1: As someone who cared, you know, as someone who cared uh, about other human beings cared about relationships, someone who cared about his craft, someone who cared about being of service, someone who cared about trying to make, you know, his little corner of the world just a little bit better. Um, someone that that just cares about humanity in general. So, you know, I, I think um, I know the term superpower is thrown around a lot. And in some other interviews, I've had people say, hey, what do you think your superpower is? I think my superpower is I care. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I, I actually give AF, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's, it's important to me. So, um, yeah, I, I and someone I would like my legacy to be he did the best he could with what he had at the time. Like that's it. You know, they certainly he certainly wasn't perfect by any means. He was fallible just like everybody else, but he cared and he gave it his best effort and he had a good attitude. And I think if someone could say those things about me, then I would I would feel all right.
0: Love it. I love it. I love it. How could our audience get a hold of you?
1: Well, if they're interested in my new book, Sustain Your Game, they can go to sustainyourgamebook.com. At the time of this recording, it's available for pre-order, but it will be available everywhere worldwide after April 12th. Um, If they need anything from me from a speaking standpoint, they can go to allensteinjr.com. I have a supplemental website strongerteam.com and I'm very easily found on social media at allensteinjr. jr uh, I love interacting and in discussion you uh, know having discussions with folks so if anyone listening to this uh, if something we talked about struck a chord or you want to share or ask a question or even if you want to debate something just shoot me a DM on instagram at allensteinjr. jr uh, or, or hit me up on my website would love to continue the conversation
0: love it i love it thank you so much brother
1: absolutely thank you this was so much fun thank you
0: that's a wrap for today i want to thank our guest alan for taking time his big schedule be a guest on the jeff nozine podcast great conversation tons of lessons learned here if you guys enjoyed it as much as i have like all weeks spread the word tell your friends tell your family we're trying to build something special here leave a review five stars would be absolutely amazing myself my team love spending time reading the reviews until next week guys keep moving forward